0: So we're recording.
1: Oh, okay, great. Hey, Margo. Hey. How are you? I'm great.
0: So let's start with the uh, formalities. Okay. What is your name? Who are you? And where are we right now?
1: My name is Margo Jacobs. That's my last name. Um, Who am I? That's complicated. Okay. Um, (laughs) <laughs> what do I do for a living? Is that a good one? Is that a good way to answer? Yeah, that? why not? How am I, I mean, right you, now?
0: To, uh, you can interpret the question. You can just dance if you want it. You don't have to I answer. Mean, I love to dance. Yeah, but
1: I, I, I am a dancer. Yeah, I don't. I know mean, how who to... am I? I am a soul dancer.
0: Are you soul, soul, soul dancer? Soul
1: dancer. What
0: does that mean? Like soul funk? Soul or like dancing? No, like, dance like from the my they dance from the
1: soul. Oh. But I do like funk.
0: At times, you know, it's never, you know,
1: when you're in the right mood, I mean,
0: why not? Yeah, we had a good dance on Friday night. We had a great
1: dance on Friday night. Yeah,
0: Yeah. was that soul dancing?
1: That was soul dancing, Okay,
0: cool, excellent, okay. So, um, and where are we?
1: Oh, we're in the Arts District. Actually, right now we're technically not in the Arts District. We're going to cross over into it right now. We're on Mission Road in Boyle Heights,
0: Los Angeles,
1: California. Right, and we're about to cross over the First Street Bridge to get into the Arts District. Okay, cool. Um, I practice landscape architecture and urban design here in Los Angeles. Um, Most of my projects are focused on green infrastructural projects uh, or projects, larger uh, scale projects with multi-beneficial solutions. I have a passion for, obviously for plants, but also for hydrology and water. And um, and then I have a non-profit called AMA, and uh, we're a group that's focused on the, like, how do I describe this? We're focused on, um, at, we're an advocacy design group, I guess is the best way to put it. Okay. And we're really looking out for environmental issues uh-huh. um, and, uh, and uh, human rights issues.
0: Okay. Right. So that's a great description. Thank you.
1: Okay.
0: Thanks. So now okay, we're going to so. go deep into your soul. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: And into Dancing? your into your past.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And we're going to talk about where you were born. Ooh. Where were you born?
1: I was born. I always like to say I was born in the swamps. Yeah. Uh, I was born in Tallahassee, Florida. Okay. Which is uh, the Panhandle part of Florida, 20 miles inland from the ocean. Okay. And uh, very swampy. Great. Really beautiful. Nice. And very small.
0: Okay. And so, what? Then you. Oh, uh, I like. And can we talk about your parents a little bit? Sure. What? What's the story with your parents? What do you want to tell me about I your mean, parents? It's
1: complicated, but yeah. they're.
0: Um, <laughs> Isn't it always? I mean, it's
1: always complicated. <laughs> my dad. Uh, well, what's cool about my dad is that he. He has a passion for music. He conducted orchestras when he was younger. Wow. Um, and he studied electrical engineering. Um, did really well with that. Actually worked at Bell Labs briefly, but ended up going back to law school to marry my mom because my mom's dad was strict or something. There's some story there. I don't really know the whole story. Okay. And then, um, and then he practices law to the sick. Okay. Yeah, and then my mom is more of like, what hasn't she done? She's done a lot. She um, studied uh, English literature okay. and likes to write. Um, she's also my parents were divorced uh, at some point, and she, when I was young actually, and she, in order to sort of make make money quickly, she became a nurse and she worked in the ER. Um, and then she uh, worked in a school for kids with severe disabilities, with uh-huh. physical and mental, for a really long time. Yeah. But then, then she kind of got over the nurse stuff. And um, she had a restaurant. She had a bookstore. She had a thrift store. Or not a thrift store, a consignment store for right. a while. And um, so, yeah, I'll just sort of leave it at that. She's sort of done it all. And, I mean, not all all, but a lot of things.
0: Okay. So, and what, you went to school in
1: Florida? Uh no. I um I I mean I went to elementary school and middle school and that stuff in Florida. I actually I finished uh I went to uh school high school I went away to boarding school when I was fourteen. I actually finished high school when I um, in Italy in the Italian Alps. Oh of course.
0: Kind of crazy. Yeah.
1: And where um in this teeny tiny little town called uh Breno,
0: which is in
1: the northeastern part of like, uh, Tyrol. Of, uh, of Italy, very close to the to the, to the Swiss border, and yeah. um, also there's an archaeological wonder there that, whose name I can't think of right now, where some of the oldest cave paintings in the world are, wow. which I feel like was a big inspiration for me, actually.
0: Cool. Um, that. So what, what yeah. region in Trox- Italy was it?
1: It was in Brescia, actually. Brescia, okay, okay. Which isn't, you know most sexy of all the regions, I don't think, okay, but well, I thought it was beautiful, I mean, when great. I was young, I, I really, it was great, just sort of roaming around the, the mountains.
0: Yeah, and so what, like, so what did you, you ended up going to study landscape architecture, did you? Oh,
1: no, not originally, no? I started out, actually, I went to um, Georgia Tech, which is a technical school, and yeah. like the title suggests, and I started out studying environmental engineering. Okay. And I did that for about a year and a half and, you know, took a bunch of calculus and a bunch of physics and a bunch of organic chemistries. And, yeah. and it was hard. And <laughs> I just wanted to get to the point where we were going to start making stuff. And I realized that that was not something that was going to come soon enough. So I ended up walking over to the architecture school. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, they didn't have a landscape architecture uh, school uh, there They had architecture but they also had industrial design And so I actually started To study industrial design and that's what I Finished my degree in And my focus was on sustainability uh-huh. And uh, Finished there I actually then got a masters at NYU In um, to media arts uh-huh. And then After that I went and worked in some think tanks In Europe, first in Italy, back to Italy And then in Sweden What
0: kind of think tanks?
1: They were basically focused on, because of my background in industrial design and then these new media arts, it was really focused on technology and how technology can be used in sort of positive ways. Wow. So one of the main projects, for example, that I worked on in Sweden was looking at a sustainable future for the country. And I was actually the group, most of our money came from the Swedish government. So we were looking at how we could come up with sustainable solutions for, for growth for energy use in particular oh, cool. uh, all right. Yeah. So, um, so it was some time after that that I um, or it was actually there that I learned a lot more about urban design urban planning landscape architecture and I just fell in love with all of those all of those um, fields Yeah. and so I decided how, how you not? I know I thought why not do b- things that are bigger and plan for bigger change. I thought that could be a cool thing to do. So I applied to school and ended up going to Berkeley in California for a master's degree in landscape architecture.
0: Wow, okay. So what, just like, came back to the motherland and California was the only place for you? Or how did you end up in California?
1: well I, I came back, uh, I ended up going to Berkeley, as I said, and um, I guess I had always I really thought going to Berkeley would be just amazing because of all the sort of lore surrounding Berkeley and uh-huh. sort of thought it was just going to be a bunch of like cool hippies hanging out, yeah talking about ideas uh-huh. and um, wish it was to some degree, but I went there, I loved Northern California, but while I was there. I um, interned at different um, landscape architecture firms. So one time I took an internship here in Los Angeles with Mia Lair and um, just really got on with her, really got along with her and wonderfully she, before I, I graduated, she actually sent me a letter asking me if I wanted to come work for her and I just felt like that was the easiest and coolest thing to do. Wow. <laughs> So, and she, you know, a lot of her work had been focused on the LA River, and as I mentioned, I really love sort of these infrastructural pieces, so I thought, why not? This is going to have, and also LA is in a really important time right now. There's a lot of change, there's a lot of growth, and unlike New York, Los Angeles, while it's different, obviously, from the rest of the country the makeup of L.A. is more similar in the sense that it's a little more suburban than urban than if you compare it to somewhere like New York. Okay. And so there could be some best practices here. So things that, or projects that you implement here could be repeated in other parts of the country more easily, if that makes sense. Yeah. The ideas. So that was something that I, I thought about when I was taking the job. And she was just, she was cool. And I had, I actually got this um, after... Berkeley I went down to South America to go look at um water infrastructure ancient water infrastructure uh in Peru um then also in Mexico and Central wow. America so I had a fellowship to do that and
0: ancient water infrastructure They call it
1: ancient I don't think that's how I described it in my brief but it's just what came to mind right now it Sounds and um, really,
0: like yeah
1: aqueducts and indigenous um techniques because to me a lot of what's termed sustainable now is really just the reintroduction of indigenous techniques maybe with a little technology added on but for the most part they knew what was going on. love that um, Me too. love it so much. So it was really great and I, I got a six month fellowship to do that and I have to say Mia was really lovely and that she was like well just let me, let me know when you're back job's yours. So wow. there it was. Awesome. So that made it very easy.
0: Yeah right. All right, I think that's enough of me interrogating okay. your past. Okay, thank you. Now let's get into this juicy project that you're talking about. So tell me, tell me what what happened with Standing Rock? Like, I, let's
1: oh, let's, okay. let's start um, from the start, shall we? Sure. So. um I guess the way it all happened for me—I mean, a lot is going on with Standing Rock, as I'm sure most people have heard. I'm assuming that people in Australia have heard, have heard of Standing Rock and know some of the issues of what's happening there. Vaguely, but, but,
0: let's just, but essentially, let's Standing
1: right. Rock is um, a part of is a reservation in North Dakota, um, and what quickly put. Um, the Dakota Access Pipeline wanted to you to put their pipe through their land, and not just their reservation land, but through their sacred burial grounds, which is really um, uncool, I guess, is the way to think about it. But they, um, they don't really have the rights. I mean, supposedly they don't have the rights. Um, reservations are are their own kingdoms, they have their own laws, and they are not supposed to, they as in the United States government, it's not supposed to do anything on the reservation without it being approved by the tribes. So it wasn't making any sense because uh, there was um, orders and decrees from the government that said sure, do the pipeline, when it wasn't theirs to decide. Overall that's the, the main issue. and. What's a bummer about it, besides it going through their land and land that technically is, doesn't belong to our country, um, is that there is a big or there was a big risk that the pipeline could break and not only um, hurt the, the water on the tribal land, but also um, it was at risk of contaminating the. Um, uh, I'm like losing my
0: mind right now. The Missouri River and the Missouri
1: River oh. watershed, which would,
0: which leads into the Mississippi
1: River watershed.
0: Did I say that right? Sounds pretty right to me. Um, Don't worry. I feel like no. I have
1: to double check it. Uh, let's not um, worry about
0: double. Uh, okay, you, so you're days. allowed to on my on my <laughs> podcast. You're allowed to make mistakes. I, I'm yeah. sure I'm going to make a
1: bunch. Yeah,
0: but you know they're so. they're, they're going to put a pipe through. a Sacred area, and it was going to contaminate some stuff at some point. Yeah, but
1: ultimately, it was going to be able to could potentially contaminate large, larger watersheds, yeah. leading to the Mississippi watershed, which is the largest watershed in the world, yeah. and could affect over 20 million people's drinking water. So Whoa. they weren't just standing up for themselves and for their land and for the burial ground um, or their sacred lands, because uh-huh. it wasn't just burial ground. But they're standing up for the water um, quality. Um, for for all of these people from a lot of middle America and um, unfortunately um, a lot of people in our country a lot in middle America didn't see it that way um, and just wanted to to make that oil line happen Um, so in terms of this project how it came about was um, I guess it was 2016 when Trump got elected good year (laughs) it's a weird year uh, and the day he got elected, I mean, I was just... The night he got elected, we were just mortified.
0: Yeah.
1: Everyone I knew, I mean, we were just mortified. I, I was very distressed, and I actually called into work the next day and said, I can't come in because I was just too emotional and too overcome with grief really about it all. What? So, because he seems like and has proven to be... Um, just a very, I don't know, for lack of a better word, nasty person who, um, who's calling himself, (laughs) (laughs) who now is calling himself a nationalist, which, um, most people think of as a white nationalist. He, he stands up for, um, white activists. I mean, it's very strange. And he, um, his, he doesn't seem to care about anybody, um, other than people who are very rich. And then sort of backing this ideology of, um, yeah, white supremacists. So it was very scary to know that he had become president. And just shocking. Also because he just seems like a joke. He seems like an idiot. Yeah. I don't. He can hardly put together a sentence. So it just didn't make any sense. And it was very upsetting. And um, so I walked around that whole day. I must have walked 16 miles all throughout Los Angeles. And was thinking about... You know, I went through, I was with a friend and we cried and there was some period of grief. But then we both were just thinking, well, we've got to do something. What can we do? So we obviously were thinking about protesting and marching and gathering and, you know, uh, getting people together and coordinating and that kind of thing. But when I got home, I, I remembered it just sort of came to me that one of the most, the thing that I'm most passionate about is water water supply, it's really at risk. It's a—it's an issue in California because we have a limited uh, water supply. In Los Angeles, we import almost 90% of our water from other places, and we're the second biggest city in the country. We, ha- country. we have almost um, 18 million people in the Los Angeles metropolitan area, which is huge. Um, they say actually one in 37 Americas is from Los Angeles, so wow. it's just a lot of people live here, right? So, water was on my mind and water supply. And then every time I'd been seeing these, uh, the news talking about Standing Rock, it just would just get me going Um, because it's, it's a horrible thing that was happening. And I decided, okay, I want to get involved. So I started looking online to try and understand more about it. And I realized there wasn't much information in terms of understanding where Standing Rock was, where it was in relationship to the watershed, what the, you know, there wasn't any visual information that was um, putting, putting some sort of representation to the things that these Native Americans were saying. So I thought there was an opportunity there. So I immediately started um, emailing, well, I immediately sort of came up with the idea of doing this project, which was to map uh, the watersheds, first of all, and show the connection to the larger um, watershed to the Mississippi, and then also thinking of alternatives, thinking about, okay, so why is it that we need this oil anyway? Isn't there other energy that we could do instead? And what what about the land where this pipeline is going? What can happen instead? What alternative energy sources could we use? And so, then- so
0: just to jump in there, so yeah. when you oh, said m- mapping the area and stuff, like, I guess... I like this, because you're sort of, you're using your skill base, you're using your skill base of what you know and what you've learned, right? to try and, you know, mess with something that's maybe a bit out of your field, like, I mean,
1: exactly. it's
0: like, you're kind of like, taking landscape architecture and starting to get political, and... Is that
1: right? Exactly, yeah. and I mean, I should say that a lot of my projects here in Los Angeles that I do in terms of landscape architecture do become political. Uh-huh. So, believe it or not, parks and open space become very political. I don't. I, it's strange. You'd like to think that everyone wants a park, but not everybody does. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I end up going to a lot of community meetings and that kind of thing. However, to your point, nothing like this and on the scale had I done, and and really it was using the tools that we have as landscape architects um, with GIS and no, no, mapping to be able to visualize these ideas for people and to show sort of the public at large how this is affecting them um, and what alternatives there were.
0: Nice. So tell me about that a little bit. Like, what? why do you think it's important to visualize things?
1: I think it's important to visualize things. Well, for one, I'm a visual person, so it's easier for me when I see a visual, uh, so maybe that's... of the reasons it comes to me as being important but also i just think in general people there's so many ways that people are able to interpret information some people are are auditory they can hear it some people will will read it but i think a lot of people it it makes it very easy when there's a clear visual um, associated with it it helps tell the story it helps tell the narrative and i that's what we wanted to do we just really wanted to strengthen the narrative and and fight um and fight this this pipeline from happening.
0: Cool. And so so and so what happened next? Like after you, so you visualized.
1: So well, what first the problem, we,
0: and then you visualized the alternatives. Is that right?
1: Right. So first we visualized the problem in the watersheds, because again, I think it's important to understand that these watersheds are connected. Um, water water doesn't flow within the borders of a county or a state or a country. It flows where it flows. Yeah. And watersheds are often crossing borders in our, in our country and over many states. Yeah. And, and many times, watersheds are crossing over country lines. So it's, it's sort of ridiculous because a lot of the times, even in my work as a landscape architect, I'll be working on a project and, for example, there'll be projects that border with Arizona and part of the watersheds in California and part of the watersheds in Arizona. But because we're employed by California, we can only work on that portion of the watershed. And I think it works so much better to get better when all the organizations, meaning all the people involved that live within the watershed, whether it's two states or two countries, come together so that you can look at the watershed holistically, because natural systems should be, I think, looked at holistically so that you can better understand the problem. And then alleviate it, alleviate that problem in the best way. You're listening
0: to Fuck with the Future. So yes, yeah, so basically, you to be to be simple about it. Yeah. You're like, hey, check this out. We got a bit of a problem here. Right. And then you're like, oh, check it out. We can we can do these things instead exactly. with that land. Right. Is that so right?
1: yeah, so we showed where the water was flowing. We showed where um, oil spills have already occurred in that area. And then we also mapped where potential oil spills could occur based on uh, all the research that we did. Uh-huh. So we showed where there's potential for oil spills and how 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 that oil could affect the region. And then we did these solutions, right? right? So we mapped um, within a mile. So we took the access pipeline and then within a mile of it on either side, we mapped potential area for solar farms and we'd mapped potential area for wind farms, wind turbines, and we actually were able to partner, and I'm not going to be able to say this right, they're Uh amazing, they actually gave us a lot of data sets for free, this wind um, farm company gave us about $30,000 worth of data sets for free, it's proprietary, so they were really interested in the cause, and we were able to do that. Anyways, we were able to um, understand that both solar and wind on their own could provide not just enough energy to offset uh the oil but could provide more energy. Yeah. than the oil. Wow. So what's the point of the wow. oil? Wow. Wow. I mean and as you mentioned the other day I mean oil is limited and it's becoming more and more limited and you know in my opinion it belongs in the ground it's helping yeah. it's helping the earth shift around you know.
0: Keep the uh, <laughs> keep coal in the hole and
1: <laughs> coal um, in the hole po- do you any oil, need...
0: oil in the soil. Can
1: I can I get you a tea?
0: Oh, let's get tea, yeah. Yeah, let's get yeah. a tea. Back with the future. So these guys gave you 30K worth of data. Right, they
1: gave 30K worth of data, which is really yeah. rad. We reached out to a lot of nonprofits that were working, actually law firms that were working with the Sioux Tribe, and they were like, yes, do it, they need it, do it, do it, do it. Um, and so we started the mapping process, but in the meantime, even though these nonprofits had said, yeah, do it, do it, and they were working with them, I hadn't communicated directly with anyone from the tribe, so I was feeling a little apprehensive about it all because I didn't want to to assume something. I didn't want to do the wrong thing and I wanted to make sure everything was kosher. So, um, and not to mention the fact that I was really getting riled up and I wanted to I wanted to go to Standing Rock. So I left, a friend of mine from New York met me. Um,
0: with a headband on? Oh, there
1: you go. <laughs> Were you
0: wearing your headband? No. Oh. No.
1: Um, We went to uh, North Dakota and we drove to Standing Rock uh, in the snow, it was crazy. I won't go into all of that because it was, well, it was life-changing for sure. Um, I'd never spent any time really on a reservation, much less spent, you know, we were there for I think a week and a half. Um, Spending that time uh, was really amazing. And after a few days of sort of getting settled into being there, I was able to talk with uh, Candy, uh who's one of the organizers, a Sioux organizer there. And um because it was it was hard to actually get up and talk to the elders or talk to the main organizers because when we were there I think there was about 20,000 people at the reservation. I mean visitors. People who had poured in from all over the country and other countries. I think there was people from Australia even there. And so it was hard to get through to the right person. And I again I didn't want to overstep my boundaries.
0: Why do you think this happened? Like, I mean, there must be lots of different um, sort of destructive environmental issues popping up that like people don't get caught up in. Why, like, this thing went international? Why, why, what was so special about it that made that happen?
1: I think one of the reasons is, well, first of all, they had um, these what I think they called them water runners, which were part of their own tribe that ran. They literally ran to all the different tribes in the country. Or this country, um, probably also to Canada. I'm not 100 percent sure. And and said, hey, we have we have an issue. They had visions about it. They had a lot of visions, and um, a lot of their elders had told them that this was the issue, and that it needed to be stopped because if this wasn't stopped, it was a turning point for society and for the world. Wow. So taking it very seriously, these water runners went out. A lot of the young, a lot of the young Native Americans really got active, and I think. You know, that says a lot about just, in in general, what's happening today in our country is that the youth is really leading a lot of these movements. I mean, maybe they're always the ones leading the movements, but it's really, it was really beautiful to hear about and to see. And so they ran to all of the different um, tribes across the country. And so people from all over the country, from different tribes, came and joined in. And that, I think, just provided a bigger mass. And then it just continued to grow to other countries and other tribal um, regions and indigenous areas across the world started getting involved. And then, of course, people that, you know, not, that weren't necessarily indigenous who, who care, care about, um, indigenous people's rights, which are extremely important and totally valid. Um, and also environmental issues, which are, they're often taught, they're often hand in hand. So, um, there was just a lot of support. And I think with, with the, with the presidency coming up with even someone like Trump, who wasn't even elected yet, but just the idea, I mean, when it started, he wasn't elected yet, but just the fact that someone like that was going to be on the ballot, it was crazy. (laughs) It was like nothing we'd ever, or at least not in my lifetime, nothing I'd ever seen before. Um, so it, and it was scary to think that someone with that sort of dark hate, ruin inside him could get so far mm. and that there were so many people that are behind him so I think maybe all of that together and I think the state of the world in general outside of the United States all of the different governmental issues that we're, we're facing sort of as a, as a whole and how a lot of countries have been sort of moving to the right and not the left mm. I mean I'm not sure if it's called the right and the left in Europe but yeah, I yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um,
0: yeah actually even but it though, we, seems like even though this we drive s- on opposite sides of the line, <laughs> politically we, we still have the
1: right? same sense so I think there just, I think there's just a lot brewing. I mean, obviously, climate change is a huge part of it, too. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, we're running out of time. What do we have, 10 years, 12 years? 12 before, years, Before we passed the tipping point. Yeah. And um, so I think people are fired up about yeah, it.
0: Right. So I think that, I mean, that's right. Time rough. to quit our jobs, get arrested. Right. Go protest and right. camp at Standing Rock. and Right. Make Pretty change. much. Yeah. Pretty much. So then um, you met the people.
1: I did. I met, I did. I was able to, I think it was two or three days in, they would have, they had this um, area. I forget what it was called now. I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called Press Hill, but then they started calling it Facebook Hill, of all things. Uh, And it was, there was very limited service, all service, um, on the reservation. But this one hill had a higher ground and so that's where the press boxes were. That's where all the press was doing their things, and they had antennas set up. So if you ever wanted to send an email, you'd go and sit on this hill. Mm-hmm. And it's also where they um, would often, well, they'd hold press conferences, but they'd also make announcements there. I mean, actually, um, most of the announcement announcements were made around the Sacred Fire, which was in a different area. But, you know, sometimes actions were assembled there as well. So, um, during after one of the press conferences, I was able to pull um, someone aside um, named Candy, and she was one of the sort of leaders of the movement. And she, I told her what I was planning, and I showed her the sort of rough version of the map. And she was she got very emotional very quickly and said, "This is exactly what we need. This is what we've been looking for. We've been we've been praying for this." So it made me feel like I was doing the right thing, and everything was going to be okay
0: you're listening to fuck with the future okay so then you got the like you got the the right people behind you and then you were like ready and armed to cruise back and make some maps happen is that kind of what happened next or wait say that
1: again i'm sorry i
0: was reading and so massive. so next step was to from there you went back and yeah I went
1: back finished up the maps um I was able to organize a lot of other um young landscape architects um uh, mostly from within my own firm and we worked you know till two or three in the morning late at night after hours um getting all of the information together um and creating a series of maps and then um, we actually had uh, a couple of friends in New York who own a company called Friends Take a look at them for some graphic support. Um, you know, they gave they gave a little bit of help to us, which was really great, um, and helped move the effort forward. And then we finished up. And then, um, fortunately, we you know we put them on Facebook, we put them on um, Instagram, and all that kind of thing. But then we we had the opportunity. I was able to meet with um, one of the coordinators for KCET, which is a big public um, news. Uh, 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 broadcasting and um, here in Los Angeles and I was able to meet with the creative director and show him the maps and tell him the story and how important I thought it was and you know what do you think and wouldn't it be cool to see these maps um, on your website and maybe we could make them interactive so people could understand all the different layers of the maps and he said yeah let's do it so then they ended up making a whole website dedicated to it which was great um, because you know we didn't have that skill set or we didn't have the time really. Um, and so he, um, he and his team were able to um, not only create this website, but then they actually worked on the technology to make the maps interactive. And then they also did a series of films and articles relating to each of the maps. Wow! So it was pretty amazing. And so we were able to really get the maps yeah. out there to a larger population, amazing. which was great.
0: And so, ha- what, what ended up happening? Like, what was the...
1: I mean, the main thing that happened is we got the word out. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the pipeline has been, they are moving forward with the pipeline. I mean, oh, we're no. not, we're not, um, I mean, it, I wish I could say that it was enough. Um, I, yeah, I just think that, uh, I mean, it's it's sort of a sad story in the sense that the pipeline has... Uh, continued, But the fight isn't over. What I can say is that it's really great. It, we were able to form this group, ALMA, first and foremost, which is this group that we now are. We're working on other efforts now. We're working on um, mapping um, the border uh, between the United States and Mexico. Um, and looking at issues, not only between human humans rights issues, but again, other environmental um, issues, including wildlife corridors and these kinds of things that are impacted by creating a border. Wow. And then we want to do some offsets and think about what else could this border wall be. Instead of putting all this money into this, what what could we do Interesting. with that money? So we're working on that, and then we actually just started an idea of making a book uh, about the, the fact that we only have 12 years left. And so we're going to be doing a series of maps looking at energy, waste, food production, clothing production, um, basically all the different tiers uh, of, of, of all the parts of the puzzles, I guess you could say. Um, that are contributing to climate change and hopefully by making maps that are informative but also showing maps that offer opportunities. So Mm -hmm. we're going to be collaborating with a lot of demographic designers on that. So those are two things that are in the pipeline. So that's one positive thing that came out of it was just us forming together. The other positive thing was making connections with people like at Standing Rock. There's still The movement still is ongoing. The fact that there's a lot of um, not just... um, the Native Americans involved, but all of the different environmentalist groups that are involved with water issues, um, and the connections that were made there, and sort of the strengthening of that feeling. And then just the fact that we were able to tell the story to a lot of people and get the word out. I mean, I guess that's the first step, is just getting people motivated by making them more aware. So, there you go. So
0: from your area of expertise, tell me something optimistically about the future and what you want to happen and what you think could happen are you driven about cities, about I am. I am definitely like... driven
1: about cities and how cities are moving forward. I think there's a lot of strength in cities. I'm, you actually mentioned this the other day, the fact that it's harder for, for larger uh, government organizations to move that quickly, in terms of especially our country right now. I mean, we don't even have a real environmental protection agency anymore at the yeah. moment. Um, so... It's easier for for cities to move forward, especially, um, again, speaking about the United States, most of the people in the cities are um, Democrats or, or majority left, liberal, ideal people. So they have the sort of gumption to to make the policies happen. Even if the rest of the country doesn't want it to happen, they're in the city, so you can make it a, It's a city law. It's a city ordinance. So, for example, in Los Angeles, there's been a lot of progress in terms of that, and it's really great to see it happen. I mean, there's a lot more that can be done, but it's cool. So I'm excited about cities, and I'm I'm obviously really excited about city making. It's part of the DNA of of what I do, um, and especially working in Los Angeles and Southern California. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about the shift. Um, Even though it's a pretty obvious shift for me, it's, it's nice to see other people Um, coming to this conclusion that single-purpose infrastructure is is not the way to go. It's a very old way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, Although most of the infrastructure we have still is single-purpose infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of um, movement towards changing that up and thinking about what infrastructure can be.
0: What does that mean, single-purpose infrastructure?
1: Single-purpose infrastructure, for example, the L.A. River. Um, When they, the L.A. River was channelized in the 30s. And the reason that it was channelized, well... The Los Angeles River. When we walked over it, you you can see that there's not a lot of water running in it. It's what's called a dry river, meaning that most of the time it doesn't have a water in it. Um, But when it rains in Los Angeles, it pours, so it becomes a deluge of water. And so what happens is, uh, or what had happened in the past, um, is there was a lot of flooding that happened. And um, oddly enough, before sort of the white man had come to Los Angeles, indigenous uh, people here never. You know, built structures close to the Los Angeles River, knowing that that wasn't the spot to be. But we had. So, due to all of these, uh, all this flooding, the Army Corps of Engineers came in and they channelized the river. And they built a big concrete structure for the river to go in, the whole river. And it's crazy. And the thing is, is, I understand um, wanting to do flood protection. At this point, there's a lot of people living in LA. It's not like we can just ask half of Los Angeles to move. Yeah. So we've got to do deal with flood, flood uh, control. But there's other uh, pieces that you can layer into that. You could layer in parks. You could do terracing of sports fields so yeah. that people can have activities when it's not rainy. The river can become some, something more than just a st- large concrete structure, yeah. if that makes so, sense. Yeah, so that's so just one That's one thing. Another so thing is like when you think about the tunnel for that tunnel or pipes for water. I mean, you could put pipes for water alongside, you know, hydroelectrical devices so that you're creating um, energy while you're pushing water through the system. And in some cases, they already do that. But, I mean, so, those are two so, things that come to mind.
0: So, so this so, is an area that you're yeah. interested in? this
1: is area I'm interested in, again. And as I mentioned, I guess that's what we call it green infrastructure. It's sometimes called blue infrastructure. It's just sort of taking all of these... Uh, invisible pieces and that's another part of it too is trying to make trying to make the invisible visible you know so that people can understand these systems they understand where their water comes from that electricity isn't free you know that it comes from somewhere it's being produced somewhere and so I'm really excited about you know that shift in thinking but i'm also excited about the potential for alternative energy and where that's going
0: so so let's just quickly fast track into mm-hmm. like the year 2021 all right when you're the lord mayor and you've got like this 5 years just and you just like Kicking down doors, just doing whatever the fuck you want. Right. Yeah. What have I done to
1: LA? What,
0: what, what did you just do to LA? Yeah. Tell me oh, what that. Man. Tell me what LA looks I mean, like.
1: There's far fewer roads. Put the roads on a diet. There's going to be far less roads. There's going to be hardly any impermeable surfaces, so that oh. water can infiltrate back into the water table. So those two things alone are huge. So no more roads, a lot more public transportation, okay. um, a lot more street trees, a lot more trees in general. We need a, we need to offset this carbon, so the planting more and more trees, a lot more food growth in the city. I think there's a lot of opportunity for food production. Um,
0: so so tell me about the roads thing. Like, right? would you just like can you just ban cars in like a big chunk of the city? I mean. What?
1: I partially, is, I mean, honestly, it's kind of what I'd want to do is ban cars. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of other, um, there's a lot of uh, examples of that in other parts of the world where sort of the urban core is pedestrian. So I would love to do something that with that, like that for LA where the urban core became pedestrian example, or in LA's case, um, it's not just one urban core. We're spread out and we have a lot of different neighborhoods, but each neighborhood has a core, and it would be great if those core areas were really focused on pedestrian or or bicycle uses, and then maybe public transit could run through as well. I think that's one way to take care of it. But then another thing is that right now, if you look at the street, it's super wide. Like, it doesn't it's only two lanes of traffic totally. but it could be much more narrow was just so the, the border city. the sidewalks could grow and you could add more green buffers alongside
0: well you know what i loved i was just in mexico city and there was just a mohawk down the middle with jungle i and love I was mexico just, city It's just like two lane jungle down the middle with a beautiful little pedestrian path love it yeah and, I was just, and those streets were so attractive like right? i just wanted to it was a big loop yeah. In, I think it's Roma or Condessa. Yeah,
1: no, there, that's and, another
0: like, what, what do you think about like what's the what's the ultimate straight arrangement landscape wise? Like how do you
1: I mean I think it depends on the well what's there and yeah. what the what the, the land use is and yeah. I think you can't just say there's one yeah. solution for anything. That would be single purpose thinking. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think what you just described is amazing and would work on even larger streets like we have Wilshire Boulevard, which is was originally intended to be, like, the Champs-Élysées or whatever yeah. of Los Angeles that yeah. you would stroll down. Now it's just, you know, full of cars. I think yeah. it's three lanes on either side. Yeah. But if you got rid of two of the lanes yeah. and added that sort of paseo through the yeah. middle and just really yeah. jungled it up, that, as you said, that's I feel be, like that's a great opportunity.
0: That, that's your power move, yeah. would it be?
1: Is, yeah, I think...
0: It'd be Wilshire? Boulevard, uh, yeah, comes Champs-Élysées.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, well, with more or, trees. With more trees. Yeah, uh, yeah no, for sure. Yeah,
0: and maybe some food.
1: And then, yeah, it's a yeah. lot of food. A lot of delicious tacos, man. You're listening to Folk with you're the Future. Free.
0: So how do you deal with, like, you've got so little water in this place, though. Like, how do you, how do you grow all this stuff without any water? Do well,
1: I think there's a lot of... Um, I mean, that's a very good question. Um, so one of the reasons I mentioned making the streets um, more permeable is so that we could... Um, we do have a water... We have aquifers underneath the city, but they're not getting recharged in the way that they used to because we are a city of asphalt. We have so many roads and so many parking lots. That's the other thing. I would transform parking lots into something else. Um, I also think the invention of the automa- auto, auto, car, driverless, uh, vehicles. driverless vehicles. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So with that, maybe you could, um, limit, I think maybe parking could decrease. So you could yeah. create bigger parks and stuff yeah. in this or other uses for this parking lot. So yeah. anyways, adding permeability to the city would help recharging our aquifers. Yeah. That's one way, but also, um, I'm really into, um, I think there's a lot of work that's being done in hydroponics and the fact that you're able to use less water to grow more. Yeah. Um, And I think that needs to be implemented. Um, So, yeah.
0: Amazing.
1: Permaculture, that kind of thing, using less water for more, Um, planting more natives, plants that take less water. If we plant mostly natives in Los Angeles, these are the kinds of plants that wouldn't take much water, so you wouldn't have to water the landscape. You'd be just watering the food crops. It's a really good question, though, because we actually, not just in L.A., but Southern California provides over half of the fruits, nuts, and vegetables for the whole country. So, And we're taking all of that water from somewhere else to do it. So it's not the best It's not the best makeup.
0: <laughs> so um, any parting words? I think we're going to wrap it up there, Margot. Thank okay, you so yeah. much for your time. Is yeah, there no. anything you want to um, uh, tell people about how they should fuck with the future?
1: I think they should fuck with the future and however they see fit, you know, yeah. just try to do your best, so yeah. to speak, yeah. you know, what, remember that water is life, Yeah. Um, you know, if you think oil wars are bad, water wars are going to be way worse Whoa. and way more dire, so yeah. working on water is a, is a really valuable, being aware of what it is, is is valuable, I say just like fuck with what you can, you know? Yeah. Be true fuck to who you Fuck with
0: everything you can.
1: Fuck with everything you can.
0: Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. with all of it. Yeah. We, it all needs to be fucked with. And fast. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. tuning in to fuck with the future with finding infinity hit that follow button to keep up to date as we release more podcasts joe